Welcome to Summit. It's so good to be with you all. My name is John Elmore. I'm the director of Regeneration here at the Dallas campus. And my allergies are killing me. So you guys are gonna have to bear with me. I'm sorry for that. Who else is, who else is fighting that right now? Dude, it's crazy. What is it? Dallas? Yeah, everything blooming, three weeks of rain. So I got another question for you aside from allergies. Who in here has a tattoo? There's participation points for playing. You get bragging rights at the end of this contest. I want to see those proud hands raised. All right, so maybe about 15 or 20 percent. All right, now of those hands, of those tattoos, who here would say, man, I've got a good tattoo. I like my tattoo. All right, a little bit of diminishing returns there on tattoos that you can see. Who here would raise their hand and say, man, I, I have a bad tattoo. I wish I would not have gotten the tattoo that I got. Me, Craig, a couple others. All right, we're down to four. Four that think they have a bad tattoo. I'm gonna have a friendly little wager here with you that I have the worst tattoo in the room. I, I firmly would stake my, my tattoo money on that. What do you guys think? You think Craig's got me beat? You think somebody else? <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. All right, let me show you a picture. Here is my tattoo. <laughs> Y'all, I got kitten written on me. That's horrible. 14 years ago, I walked into a tattoo parlor in Austin, Texas off 6th Street, drunk out of my mind before the Lord had rescued me out of that, and, uh, and I got kitten tattooed on me. Guess where that is? It's on my right butt cheek. That makes it even worse. It's not even someplace that's cool. You can't, get, you can't put that anywhere that would be cool. And I think the tattoo artist was drunk too. Look at that middle T. I'm like, what did you do to me? Once I sobered up. Man, uh, that, that tattoo um, was for a girl. Uh, and I didn't meet Laura until 2011. And I got that in 2004. So that means Laura's not kidding. And I got married with kitten on my rear to Laura. So that's a problem. Now, here's the bad news is that's not even the full tattoo. There's more to it. So show them the next slide. Let's zoom out a little bit. Dude, what do you do with that? Oh, man. I used, to, I used to do prison ministry, and I'd walk into the prisons, and I would do that same thing. I'm like, who here's got a tattoo? And they all do, because they got time on their hands and paper clips and big, big pins, and so they're just doing prison tats all day. So they all had tattoos. I'm like, I guarantee you got a worse one. They're like, no way, Tony's got a worse one. Look how they messed his up. And I'm like, no, mine says kitten. And they're like, dude, you can't say that in here. You can't say that. I would never show it to them. I said I was a recovering alcoholic, not, not suicidal or had a death wish. But you're like, why, why are you telling me about this tattoo? And by the way, I put it in black and white for your benefit. I figured you didn't want to see the flesh tone of my rear. So why showing you this horrific image that you can't unsee in your mind right now? Uh, why would I do that to you? Why the sensation of vomit in the back of your throat? Because today I want to talk about the reality that defines us. The reality that defines us, what the things that, that we or the world or that others have written upon us that define us. Because y'all, at that stage in my life, back in 2004, when I got that little work of art, that, that defined me. Because I, I had the girl 
that I was like, man, we're, we're gonna be together for the rest of our lives. We're gonna get rich quick, retire early, travel the world. Uh, that represented everything about my life, just the foolishness, the, the just spontaneity to do impulsivity, compulsivity, just stupidity. I was a biblical fool in every sense, and my, my world rested upon what I made, what I did, where I lived, uh, what I could do by our own, who I was with, the girl that was on my arm, how hard we could party, and then how much we could work uh, to prove that we weren't just screw-ups, but that we could actually accomplish something in spite of just like the crazy living. And that, that was my life. And it evaporated in a second at the age of 30. I've shared my testimony in here before, but, but, but that house of cards crashed down. And when it did, my reality did along with it and ended up with a gun to my head because uh, my reality wasn't worth living anymore. But someone else wrote a new reality upon me and changed everything. And that's what Romans 5 is. I firmly believe as we talk about the reality of the past, the present, and the future. And that's what we're going to walk through today. And I couldn't change myself. Someone had to change me. And so let me pray for you, for us, as we discuss this today. Uh, because my words will be in vain apart from the Spirit. So, Lord, uh, we are yours, this time is yours, this morning is yours, every day that you have ordained before one of them came to be. And we thank you, Lord, that no matter what reality that has been written upon us, that we have written ourselves, that the world has placed there, that if we are in Christ, then our reality is yours. And our reality is unshakable and unchangeable and secure with you forever. So Lord, speak today by your word, by your servant, long to do your bidding and long, Lord, we didn't, we didn't wake up at 6.30, well, wake, be here at 6.30, to sit in a room to study. We came here to be changed by the living God, by the living word, so Lord, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're in Romans 5, as you track along in Summit, and uh, big chapter, and I couldn't get past the first two verses as I was like, Lord, what do you want me to teach on? I read the first two verses, I was like, all right, that's it. So let's read it here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, peace with God, through, through the means, our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Master, Jesus Christ, Christ meaning Savior, he is Lord and Savior, Master, through him, we have also obtained access. We have gained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. There's the present tense. And we rejoice, here comes future, in the hope of the glory of God. Past, present, and future between us and God. That's what we're going to walk through. And so the first point, in the past. So the next slide, therefore, since, so we've just walked through Romans 4, where it talks about Abraham, the righteous will live by faith, salvation is by grace, through faith, in Jesus, and here we have again, reiteration of that in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith. Now, who here has heard of the Proclamation 179? Proclamation 179, this was a crucial point in our nation's history. Any hands on that one? One. 
maybe, like one scratched his head and looked to his neighbor. Proclamation 179, I was like, is that that thing in, for marijuana in California? <clears throat> no, that landslide has been determined. Uh, you can get weed in California for these allergies. You can get weed for anything there. Uh, don't go there for that reason. <clears throat> Proclamation 179, at the end of the Civil War, Andrew Johnson, on Christmas Day, 1868, issued Proclamation 179 to the Confederate soldiers who warred against the Union. Let me read it to you. This is Christmas Day, y'all. You can't make this stuff up. Now, therefore... Be it known that I, Andrew Johnson, President of the United States, the dread sovereign, I inserted that part, by virtue of the power and authority in me vested by the Constitution and in the name of the sovereign people of the United States, do hereby proclaim and declare, listen, unconditionally and without reservation. Does that sound like biblical language? unconditionally and without reservation to all and every person who directly or indirectly participated in the late insurrection or rebellion, a full pardon and amnesty for the offense of treason, which P.S. treason is a death sentence for levying war against the sovereign, the reigning ruling sovereign, against the United States, or adhering to the enemies during the late Civil War with restoration of all rights, privileges, and immunities under the Constitution and the laws which have been made in pursuance thereof. Y'all, that's what God has done for us. As we talk about the past in Romans 5, having been justified by faith, this is exactly what God did through us for us through Jesus, because we ourselves were rebels. And we, make no mistake, were warring against him. The Bible says that we were slaves not only to sin, but we were slaves to Satan. And that we were children of wrath, of disobedience, and that we were warring against the kingdom of God. And then God, because of Jesus, issues this presidential, far beyond presidential, but a kingly pardon against this death sentence. The wages of sin is death, and not just death in this life, eternity in hell, where the flame never goes out and the worm never dies. That is what we were facing. And then he issues this presidential pardon for the offense of trees and levying war against him and says unconditionally and without limit, all rights restored, all offenses acquitted. You are now citizens rather than enemies of the kingdom of God. That's crazy, crazy grace. Or rather, mercy. This forgiveness of the offense of death that we owed. And y'all, it came on Christmas Day. You think about... I mean, I feel like that's crazy God timing that he's going to put on Andrew Johnson's mind when to issue that as this gift to the Confederate soldiers. I mean, it's probably some of our great-great-grandfathers in here or greats that we wouldn't even be here had he not done that. They'd have been hung or shot. But instead, on Christmas Day, this gift that's extended, and they couldn't earn it, they couldn't buy it, the president wasn't asking them to do anything for it, they received it by faith on Christmas Day, just like as Jesus came, God in flesh, on Christmas Day to rescue us 
the presidential pardon, the kingly, sovereign pardon of God coming down to live that sinless life, die for us in our place for the trees and levying war against God, be raised again on the third day that we're about to celebrate here at Good Friday and Easter next week, that we could become citizens, all rights restored. Rights restored, it's not just forgiveness, it's the imputed righteousness, gifts given from the Holy Spirit, and that we would not only be saved, but that we would be sent now ambassadors on his behalf. That's crazy, only God does that, does that justified by faith. Now the by faith part, <clears throat> As you said, we, as we said, you can't earn it, you can't work for it. The Confederate soldiers needed only receive it. But I want to tell you, you got a picture there of another fellow. That's not uh, the early days of Abraham Lincoln. That's not somebody Amish. What's up with shaving the mustache along with the beard? Like it's just a, it was in vogue then. But that's a guy named George Wilson. Anybody heard of George Wilson? Nobody's heard of George Wilson. Because he like got kind of erased from history because he was a fool. He was a complete fool because in a similar fashion, George Wilson in, uh, let me see, 1829, <clears throat> he and his accomplice were bank robbers and train robbers. They would board mail and bank trains, rob and murder. And so he was found guilty of these capital offenses for murder and was given the death sentence. His accomplice immediately went to the gallows. But George Wilson had friends in Washington. And so they then petitioned Andrew Jackson, not Johnson, old hickory, like stern, firm guy, justice. But because of the friends petitioning him, said, all right, on his behalf. I mean, think about prayer, the analogy of prayer for those who stand in condemnation, that we can now go on behalf, praying to the sovereign for them, that they might be issued a pardon and receive grace. So the friends in Washington of George Wilson, who was a bank and train robber, petition Old Hickory and say, you gotta pardon this guy. Please don't kill him, he's our friend. And so Jackson says, all right, we'll give him 20 years, we won't kill him, presidential pardon. George Wilson rejects the presidential pardon and goes to the gallows and dies. Because he's like, no. Nah. I can't earn it, I can't work for it, I'm too proud to receive it, and took the death sentence rather than a presidential pardon. This gift, <clears throat> justified by faith from Romans 5.1, again, you can't earn it, you can't work for it, and pride is what will keep you from receiving it. If there's anyone in here who has not received the free gift on Christmas Day of salvation of that presidential pardon, if you do not receive it by faith, you will not receive it at all. And you will get the death sentence due to you because of sin. That's, that's the bad news, the truth of justice. But there is a pardon awaiting you through Christ. But if you are in Christ, it says, have been past tense, justified by faith. And if that's the case, then your reality is you are secure, justified, meaning you are right with God. Now that citizen, all rights bestowed upon you. And your past, unlike my tattoo, has now been justified by that reality, that you've been justified by faith. That is your reality. Your past justification that will last all the way through sanctification and glorification. 
That is fixed now. Your past determines your reality in Christ. The next slide, in the present, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, the means by which we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It says peace with God. I remember when I was uh, drunk down in Austin, one of my buddies was like, man, what do you think the, the aim of life is? Like we're, you know, pontificating out there, having drinks. And he's like, what do you think this is all about? And I remember I, I said this. I said contentment, like to find contentment in the world. That was the ache and longing of my soul. I was trying to find it in women, work, status, alcohol, anything. But that's what I was thinking. It was like, peace, man, I want peace. This, this void that I feel, that's what everyone is searching for. Everyone. Whether you're a Christian or not, everyone is searching for peace. We're grasping for it in this world. We have a God-shaped void that will never bring us that peace and contentment aside from him. Augustine said we are restless until we find our rest in him. And here's the thing is that once we're Christians, once we've placed our faith in Christ, having been justified by faith, we still, on a daily basis, will try to find peace in other means, <clears throat> excuse me, outside of God. Even though our, our salvation is fixed, finally, with God, having been justified in the present tense, we will still try to find peace on a daily basis. There will be a fork in the road because of stress or anxiety or, or an argument with your wife or boredom or you lose your job and you're in between, or financial stress, or whatever it may be. And you'll try to find you'll, that peace that you're longing for, and you will find it either in God, the creator, or in the created. In porn, or pleasure, measures, treasures, and pleasures. And so it's, it's finding that peace with God, in God. There's a story about Mephibosheth. He was the grandson of Saul. So you had King Saul, the first king of Israel, his son Jonathan, who was a friend of David, and then his son Mephibosheth. And so when David takes the throne, and you remember there was quite a bit of contention between Saul and David, <clears throat> with Saul trying to kill David on multiple occasions. When David took the throne, and Saul and Jonathan at that point <clears throat> had died against the war with the Philistines, David takes the throne and he asks this question of his servants. Is there anyone of the house of Saul that is still living? Now in ancient Near East culture, when someone asked that question, the reason why was, I am going to kill off any of the remaining heirs of that kingly lineage, lest they rise up and try to assume the throne that is rightly theirs. Because it was this lineage. It should have been passed to Jonathan, but there was a covenant by God that interrupted that kingly lineage. You see all through the book of Kings, it went from grandfather to son to grandson. Like that's how the lineage would go until God would interrupt it. And so when a king would ask that, is there anyone remaining? It was because they're going to be dead lest they rise up and try to overthrow and take the throne that's theirs. And so they say, well, yes, there's one. His name is Mephibosheth. David says, bring him here. 
And so you imagine, I mean, David's not just like this kind of operational king. He is a warrior king. I mean, he's the one that slayed Goliath. He, He is a fighter. He's a man's man. And then you've got Mephibosheth, who, by the way, was crippled from birth, uh, not from birth, when, when he was a boy because his servant, fleeing from the war that was ensuing to come for the family, drops Mephibosheth, crippled in both legs, and so he was lame for life. And so you have this man, not a fighter, that comes before this king, and he, his, his name means nothing. No one from a, a land called Lodabar, which means nothing. So he's no one from nothing. That's the name that had been placed upon him. Talk about a reality that had been placed on him, like the label on my rear. No one from nothing land. Hey, David, the king has called for you. And so they bring him. The guy can't even walk. They bring him. They stand him before David. And it says that he falls prostrate before David. And says, why, O Lord, have you inquired of a dead dog like me? Saying like, I'm not a threat, David. I am a dead dog. You have no concerns for me. But in 2 Samuel 9, 7, it says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, for I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, does that sound a little bit like Andrew Johnson's presidential pardon that says, unconditionally forgiven, all rights restored, citizenship, but it's not just that forgiveness. It goes beyond presidential pardon, and David says, you're now one of my boys. Because I made a covenant with your daddy, Jonathan. And if you're his boy, you're my boy. And so my land is your land, and my table is your table. And y'all, that is what Jesus has done for us. Peace with God. We were enemies. It's enough that we would be forgiven. But beyond that, he says, you're now my sons. I've adopted you through Jesus as my sons. And we've got peace now with God. Peace. And I think as we grasp for peace in this world, we, get, we, we lose that mindset in the present. And we forget and we, we, and, we, and we toy with these ridiculous, fleeting, poisonous pleasures of sin when it's like, man, we have peace with God. That's what we were created for. And let me talk about peace with God. That's the Lord's Supper. That's communion. That we now sit at the Lord's table, who we were once enemies, and now we can... Dine with God Almighty, not enemies, but sons. Peace with God because the broken body, blood shed of Christ. This incredible picture. We who were enemies that deserved death, now seated at the table and restored. That's peace. Peace with God, peace that's lasting. It says the grace by which we now stand. We try to stand in so many different things. I would say opposite from scripture. It says we stand in grace in the present. We try to, we have the ways that we stand in the present. And I think we are tempted, I know we are, I am, by what's in our account, what our job is, what our zip code is, uh, what our name is to others, our reputation, all these different things. And it may be pills. It may be all those different things 
the ways in which we now stand rather than the grace in which we stand. Grace is how we stand in this world in which we fight against the world's ways, our flesh that wants to rise up against God, and also Satan that's, that has determined after God has rescued us that he's going to kill us. His desire is to kill you or sideline you, and he'll sideline you with sin. And so it's the grace in which we now stand. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit, the grace in which you will stand daily. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We were saved by grace, and we are kept safe by grace. We stand in grace alone, not by our own strength, men. Because we are men, we, we, we think, man, I've got the knowledge, the skills, the ability. I can do this on my own. I just have gumption and willpower and determination and self-realization, and I can do this. I've done it in the past, I'll do it again. God says he opposes the proud, but gives grace by which we now stand in the present. That is how we stand. Your present peace and grace will define your reality, or they will not. <clears throat> and then finally, in the future, we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Rejoice in hope. Why the wedding picture? This is July 16th of 2011, Laura and I's wedding day. And y'all, at, at that point in time, prior to that wedding, when, we, when I met this girl in Tyler and knew, like, man, that's it, I'm gonna marry her, uh, from that day on, like, set myself apart to marry her. I was in seminary. I, my daily budget was $2.75, no joke. I hadn't had a full-time job for five years. I was 30 years old to 35. I had not held down a full, for five years. I was working little part-time things because I was pursuing my seminary degree and other ministry tracks, and my daily budget was 275. If someone, like if I wanted to take Laura on a date, I couldn't spend any money for like 10 days if I wanted to buy her dinner to then drive out to Tyler where she was working at Pine Cove uh, as I walked past other women on that seminary campus around Dallas, like, man, they just didn't matter to me anymore. Even if they were good looking and attractive, even if they showed me attention. As I was lying there in my bedroom thinking about, man, it'd be nice to look at some images of girls, maybe on Facebook or whatever it might be. It's like, no, Laura now. And then especially, we got engaged and it's like, Man, now it's like a determination, like, all right, I, I am going to marry this girl. I need to provide for this girl. And so I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing, I'm petitioning God, like, Lord, you've got to give me a job. You called us as men to provide for our wives and families one day, and so you've got to, you have to provide a job. That's a promise of yours, not mine. But everything in me was looking ahead to July 16th, 2011, because I knew at that point in time, I, there would, the reality, it would be consummation. And she would see that kitten tattoo, P.S. What am I gonna do about that? I gotta save up my 275 so I can get that tattoo covered. Uh, everything was all about that coming day. And men, in the same way, we are betrothed. We are the bride of Christ, and I know it gets a little confusing, like, wait, but I'm a man, I'm the bride of Christ, to the groom, the bridegroom, who is Jesus, and that is a very true reality, the Christ 
is the bridegroom of the church of which we are a part. We are the bride of Christ. He being the bridegroom, he is coming again or will come and take you home. But one day there is a 7, 16, 11, there is a wedding day where we will be face to face with Christ. And so now, Ephesians 5, you are to set yourself apart without blemish, stain, or wrinkle, that we might be presented as a pure bride to the groom. There is a wedding day coming where you will be there before him. And so right now, we have that wedding day in mind. That is the rejoicing in the hope of the future glory of God, the glorification that is to come, the wedding feast of the Lamb. That day is coming. And so what that does is that gives us something to look to so that we don't live with the past temptations, the present issues and sin struggles, that we put those aside and we think, man, I am, I am looking towards that future and thus are freed from it. Because knowing the future, it's not this ambiguous like, ah, maybe, what if, someday. But there is a day that we will be there before Christ, with Christ, and our hope will become certainty and we will see in full We'll be united with him. And so living with that present mentality gives you singularity of purpose today. You have to have that future hope of the glory of God to live in the singular purpose of the kingdom of God mindset that I will know God and make him known and I will live for a kingdom that is to come rather than this kingdom here. I will not build myself a kingdom and try to live my little fiefdom. That's ridiculous, but instead, I will use everything within my capacity to set myself apart wholly, entirely, and wholly from sin for my coming king. With singularity of purpose is the grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You remember that terrible kitten tattoo? Well, I, I got it changed recently. And you see a picture of it here. There are very few words that uh, rhyme with kitten. And so uh, I was like, well, bitten? No. Uh, I put an SH in front of it and thought maybe an arrow. And then I was like, no. Because I've been saved now. And I was like, man, written. Because my ownership has changed. And I no longer am owned by that lustful relationship, but now a sanctified future glorification ownership. And my reality has changed. And now my name, thank you, Jesus, is written in the Lamb's book of life and will never be marked out. It says in Isaiah, my name, your name, if you're in Christ, has been inscribed on his palm. We are written. And that defines my reality in every decision that I make. I'm not perfect, guys. I, I, was, I was at a lunch yesterday staring at a whiskey advertisement. Distillation, pouring it over a single rock. And I'm like, just staring at it. I'm like, what am I doing? And I remember my name's written. And I pull back and I talk with my buddy, Matthew Lopez, who's a region leader. And we're sitting there talking about the Lord. And I'm reminded that my name is written and that defines my reality. My past justification, the present grace in which I now stand, the future hope and the glory of God. And that defines mine and your reality. 
So men, let the truth of Romans 5 that Jesus wrote for you and upon you in Christ define your reality. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that as we go out from here and we discuss the questions that you've given us uh, as led by the group, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and, our, and, and each other and with you and that this wouldn't be a Bible study, Lord. How ridiculous would that be? The Pharisees were so guilty of Bible study. But that this would be a soul study by the Bible. That your living and active word would reveal what is within. That we would have the holy courage and humility to share everything that needs to come into the light. That we could be set apart holy unto you. So Lord, use this time. And may we be men who love Jesus more than ourselves. Be glorified as you sanctify us. Amen.